Thank you for tuning in to Off-Brand Covers for Mom podcast. I am Brennan Runzo. I'm Caleb Tollison. I am Aiden Meyer. And in our newfound boredom and unemployment, we are covering songs that we enjoy for Lisa, Jenny, and Becky. We are going on a 50-year musical journey spanning from 1970 all the way to 2020, doing only one song per year, using our limited equipment and instruments. In this podcast, we aim to educate ourselves and listeners on each song we cover, talking about the artist's history, the history of the specific song, and their inspiration for writing it. We also will talk about why we chose this song, what it means to us individually, and share things we enjoy and or learn in the recording process. So, without further ado, let's talk some music. Start podcast. <laughs> Alright, it is Monday, March 23rd, and we just covered the song Who'll Stop the Rain by Credence Clearwater Revival. Aiden, would you like to tell us a little bit about this band? I would love to tell us about this band. <laughs> so, the band Credence Clearwater Revival started as three members originally. It's John Fogarty, Doug Clifford, and Stu Cook, who all met in high school. A little later, John's older brother, Tom, would join the band. And they ended up... they So they... Uh, they were playing together uh, for a few years before they officially signed a record deal, and then they signed with Fantasy Records in 1964. Um, at the time, their name was the Blue Velvets. Ooh, it's a spicy, it's a spicy name. Um, and then in, uh, well, so the the members kind of switched around on instruments, uh, different responsibilities. Originally, Tom Fogarty was the lead singer, and then his younger brother John took over as the lead singer and primary songwriter. And really became kind of the central part of the band, which we will a hear very more. iconic voice. Yes, yes. And so actually his brother Tom was quoted saying, um, I could sing, but my brother had a sound. Which is Ooh. a good... Yeah, it's a nice quote, because for anyone who's listened to CCR, which is pretty much everyone, um, <laughs> you know that John Fogarty has just a very iconic voice. It's very iconic to American music. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so really John became a, the huge focal point of the band. Um, later they changed their name to the Gollywogs, which is a very strange name, and apparently the owner of Fantasy Records agreed, because in 1968, um, he told the band that he thought the name Gollywogs was a stupid name. <laughs> and that is a rough paraphrase, that is not a direct quote. Um, can, but he's... can you imagine if somebody just came up to us, and, or like a record producer came up and was like, hey, your band name is absolutely stupid, change it now. <laughs> So they workshopped a bunch of different names um, originally, but when the owner of Fantasy Records came out, um, they started drafting a list of 10 names, but they never got past number one because the first name that they came up with ended up sticking, which was Credence Clearwater (laughs) Revival, which we will now abbreviate as CCR because we keep messing up that name. I've said it wrong at least, what? Six times today. Yeah, so we're just gonna. I think I think we've hit everyone so far in this uh, this podcast. So I think we're just gonna keep it at CCR to keep our record Perfect. straight. <laughs> um, so that became their name in 1968. Um, the band really hit success with their 1969 album Bayou Country. Uh, also in '69, they performed at Woodstock, which helped launch their success. Uh, after Woodstock, they would release their album Green River, which is also 1969. Uh, Willie and the Poor Boys, also 1969. 
the next year, 1970, they would release uh, Cosmos Factory. Yeah, Cosmos Factory. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote, totally wrote that down wrong, um, but it's Cosmos Factory, which is the album that the song we covered is on. Um, and then in 1970, they also came out with their album Pendulum. And then, as all good things do, the band's success began to come to an end. Um, it started with the departure of Tom Fogarty, who uh, is said to have had enough of his younger brother having control over the band. Um, so he left. Uh, they originally thought about replacing him, but then decided to continue as a trio. And then in 1971, uh, John Fogarty, who felt like he was doing too much work, decided to come to the band and announced that they were now going to take a more democratic approach to writing, in which each member would now write and perform uh, their own songs for the band. Wow. Are you serious? Yeah, so he pretty much came and said, hey, uh, I want to change our marriage to a legal civil union. Um, so <laughs> wow. they completely changed the way they worked as a band, and this worked for the next single that they wrote, um, Sweet Hitchhiker. Uh, but very soon after this, things began to go downwards, which apparently this democratic approach was uh, <laughs> not going to work in the long term. And so their 1972 album, Mardi Gras, was an absolute disaster. Um, and from this point on, things just got more and more tense. And John Fogarty kind of felt more and more over the years that he was doing too much for the band. Mm -hmm. And he would go as far to quote this in the Swedish magazine Pop. Um, this is kind of a long quote, but... Uh, this is what John Fogarty said. He said, I was alone when I made that Credence music. I was alone when I made the arrangements. I was alone when I added background vocals, guitars, and some other stuff. I was alone when I produced and mixed the albums. The other guys showed up only for rehearsals and the days we made the actual recordings. For me, Credence was like sitting on a time bomb. We'd had decent success with our cover of Suzy Q and with the first album. When we went into the studio to cut Proud Mary, it was the first time we were in a real Hollywood studio, RCA Records, uh, Los Angeles studio, and the problem started immediately. The other guys in the band insisted on writing songs for the new album. They had opinions on the arrangements. They wanted to sing. They went as far as adding background vocals to Proud Mary, and it sounded absolutely awful. They used tambourines, and it sounded no better. <laughs> That's when I understood I had a choice to make. At that point in time, we were just a one-hit wonder, and Suzy Q hadn't really been that big of a hit. Either this new album would be a success, something really big, or we might as well start working at the car wash again. <laughs> there was a big row, we went to an Italian restaurant, and I remember that I very clearly told the others that I, for one, did not want to go back to the car wash again. Now we had to make the best possible album, and it wasn't important who did what as long as the result was the very best we could achieve and of course I was the one who should do it. I don't think the others really understood what I meant but at least I could manage the situation the way I wanted. The result was 8 million selling double-sided singles in a row and six albums all of which went platinum mm -hmm. and Melody Maker had us as the best band in the world which of course was after the Beatles split but still and I was the one who had created all of this. Despite that, I don't think they understood what I was talking about. They were obsessed with the idea of more control and more influence. So finally, the time bomb exploded, and we never worked together again. Which is a pretty revealing quote that apparently John Fogarty had felt the entire time that the whole band was really his own success, and the other guys were just kind of tagging along for it. And really, the problem started when other people wanted more control. So whether you want to believe him completely or you think he's an egotist, 
You know, it's probably a mix between the both. Um, but either way, it's clear that John Fogarty's influence over the band is really what gave them so much success. Um, wow. So after their breakup, uh, all of the individual artists uh, kind of went their own ways. John Fogarty did his own stuff. Um, Tom Fogarty, his brother, had been doing stuff uh, by himself for a while. And then Stu Cook and Doug Clifford did their own stuff together for a while. Um, clearly none of them had any real success that matched their uh, success as CCR. Um, Which is already a hard thing to attain anyways. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, you would think that if John Fogarty spoke so highly of himself that he could have been <laughs> successful as a solo artist, which maybe he would have, but he started running into vocal troubles um, and then got swamped by a mass amount of lawsuits uh, between both record labels and his fellow bandmates, um, oh, no. which is pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty tragic. Um, so I guess, you know, CCR kind of falls into the, those, those bands that were able to create so many uh, incredible songs and albums together but they just kind of had this underlying tension that was eventually going to blow up um kind of reminds me of bands like pink floyd where um you know roger waters and uh david gilmore were just such geniuses together but they also just had so many disagreements that at some point they were going to collapse um fleetwood mac was just another one of those bands that just had so much drama internal drama that was going to collapse at some point um which is kind of sad if you're a huge CCR fan because you kind of want to believe that everyone was best friends and they were going to perform together until they all died. But um, regardless of the fact that they're... No, we can't all be Coldplay. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> yeah, or U2's the same way. They've been going for, what, 30-something years? It's because Bono's just the chillest of, uh, of leaders there. Right, right. Um, we'll get to U2 later in the series. but <laughs> Yeah, so despite the fact that their success was really only a matter of two or three big years. Um, their influence over American music has been huge. Pretty much anyone who hears any of their top hits um, recognizes John Fogarty's voice and their iconic sound coming out of the 60s um, in the early 70s. And they were a huge part of all of the um, anti-war uh, music that came out of the 70s as a result of Vietnam, um, which I guess on a last note was really another one of the things that made the band so iconic is that they didn't really write about a lot of love songs um, mm -hmm. as much as maybe a band like the Beatles would. Uh, they were very political. They wrote a lot about um, bigger ideas than just love and relationships, which I think was a, a huge part of making them such an iconic band in American music. Yeah, I think that it's, it's cool to kind of put this in perspective because if you think of uh, our political history that happens now and you either um, hear about different bands that or just directly um, song lyrics from bands that talk about political times these days it seems um, a lot less prevalent than this band who has song lyric after song lyric that is just either you know shitting on um, the government for what they're doing at the time or uh, the decision to go to war um, quite interesting yeah and, and even like in just a larger trend um you kind of start to see going into the 70s um a lot more bands writing about things politically um it's it's harder to find bands pre you know pre-1970s uh, maybe some in the 60s but really before that it's it's hard to find bands that really were um i guess gutsy enough to write about things like politics but you kind of start to see that trend become more uh more upward in the 70s and I think CCR is kind of a, one of those bands that really uh, took American music to that level. So. Yeah. Awesome. Thank so you, yeah, man. so 
I think uh, you have some stuff about the song specifically. Yeah, just today. real quick, we, um, as we've mentioned before, we sang and covered the song Who Will Stop the Rain, which, as we mentioned, is off of the album Cosmos Factory. That's their uh, fifth studio record. And this is the ninth track um, on the album. And as we said, it's uh, released in July of 1970. And the songs on here that were particularly um, famous was Looking Out on My Back Door and Long As I Can See the Light, um, both reaching national hits. Uh, they actually were their final national hits um, of, the, of the band. Um, this song uh, is allegedly um, quoted as the best blues song about Vietnam, though it is also disputed that it is more particularly about Woodstock, which happened in uh, 1969, which um, I know at least John, um, how do you say his last name again? John Fogarty. Fogarty. Oh, you, man. you kept saying it Fogarty before, I know, so I, I, think you can, I think you confused yourself <laughs> after a while. Well, allegedly, or not allegedly, John Fogarty was at um, Woodstock. Um, I would imagine the rest of the band was too. But there's two quotes. Well, they um, performed at Woodstock. Did so. they actually perform at Woodstock? I was trying to figure that out and I couldn't personally They did. Find Unless it. I completely misread this section, I'm almost... Well, I said cool. in my section that they did, so apparently, apparently it's canon now that they Perfect. did perform at Woodstock. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, and he was quoted first off saying um, when he was interviewed by Rolling Stone that he was certainly talking about Washington when he wrote the song, um, which can be just another way of saying just talking politically about the song. But then also later in 2007, it was recorded him at a concert in Shelburne, Vermont, and he said the following. They said, well, this song has a bit of a fable surrounding it. A lot of folks seem to think I sang this song at Woodstock way back then. Um, I was at Woodstock in 1969. So that, that clarifies that they did indeed. Yeah. But he, but he said, but no, no, no. He says, no, I was at Woodstock's in 1969, I think. So, so I don't know what that even means. So apparently he was high out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, all of the facts <laughs> since Woodstock have been very confusing because uh, he was on a large amount of drugs. And I mean, as was and, everyone at right. Woodstock, right? It's um, like, hey, man, were you, were you at Woodstock? Like, I don't know, man. Like, did I perform? Like, was I in the crowd? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Crazy time. But he continued saying, it, it was a nice event. I'm a California kid. I went up there and saw a whole bunch of really nice young people play. Hairy, colorful. It started to rain. It got real muddy. And then, yelling, half a million people took their clothes off. Boomer generation making its presence known, I guess. Anyways, then I went home and wrote this song. So, <laughs> and I think, and as we... Um, as we will move into kind of our next um, next part of this podcast where we'll talk about what we kind of what our personal um, ideas on this song are I, it looks to me as if um, there are lyrics that both specifically talk about politics and the war and then lyrics specifically the third verse that's completely about Woodstock so it's, I think it's a little, uh, little bit of side A and side B well, why don't you guys start off with talking about your experience with this? Because as as people probably saw in the video, you are the two primarily performing it. Although I do make a small vocal cameo bef uh, behind the camera. Yes, doing but, the uh, doing the third little harmony on the lower, and I wonder as a or who will stop the rain? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, I got to do the vocals for it. Caleb got to do the piano. Yes, indeed. Um, 
Yeah, Caleb, why don't you start yeah. us off with telling us about your experience in? Actually, I, I think. Well, let me comment first on oh, kind before... of uh, kind of your afterthoughts a little bit on what he was uh, writing about intentionally. Yeah. And my comment is, he's such a playful writer with the chords and with the music, at least in the uh, original. And in, in the music that you hear that we do, I think we capture that really well, that playfulness. Um, and even lyrically, the lyrics that we're uh, singing, Who Will Stop the Rain could definitely be such a like stark political statement, but it's also that like playful attention to like, it was rainy, it was muddy, lots of people, Lots of yelling, <laughs> craziness. Who's gonna yeah. stop this shit? <laughs> exactly. And uh, and I like that. I like that musically because a musician um, is able to comment on something that's so serious. I mean, Nam was just this like serious thing mm -hmm. that people were like aghast at. You know, uh, very much politically so. And then um, and then Woodstock, of course, which he's just sort of shooting at which I think is really unique and funny <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah I think um, one thing that is kind of interesting about CCR's music is how they will talk about such serious things but always with this upbeat kind of country rock and roll style as, as you know as they have that very iconic style um, so it's cool to see these two a very serious topic of conversation of the day um, involving war and then as well as something as crazy and fun as Woodstock. Um, Caleb, tell me about why you enjoy this song. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think I enjoy the like the rhythm that it has um, and especially in the third verse the energy gets boosted up um, and you have this excitement of like sort of that question who's going to stop the rain and you're really striving to like answer that question almost musically um personally why i enjoyed this song um was just that element of like he's taking five chords there's only five chords in that whole song and he's writing about all of these just different things that he's thinking about um but the simplicity um, becomes this like really wholesome song that as I was making music with you today especially I was like wow this is fun um, and I'm gonna use that word again playful um, and it's just I, I enjoyed it I enjoyed making music um, with with my friend well and friends um, but I also enjoyed <laughs> sort of like delving into that histor history of like wow this song was thought of a little bit at Woodstock and I treasure Woodstock a lot mm -hmm. in my heart <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, he was there. He, he was yeah, there. yeah, I was definitely at Woodstock. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think I think it was good to sort of, like, realize, wow, we're, we're doing a good job covering, but, yeah. What about you, Aiden? Yeah, when you guys originally picked the song, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, I I think you mentioned originally mentioned you want to do a CCR song, and then I, I didn't really know the song super well. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. I thought you would have picked something a bit more... Um, bit more popular maybe but I, I think when you when you originally sent the song to me I was reading over the lyrics I'm it's actually might be lyrically one of my favorite songs if not my favorite song by them um right. yeah it's very like you know we keep talking about this kind of like double meaning between Woodstock and uh and this kind of political message that he's trying to get at and that's kind of what makes it so good to me it, I mean it is such a um 
you you know you get this image of all of these young people at Woodstock and it's just downpouring and it's muddy and everyone's huddling together to get cold and the way he kind of uses this image to really talk about this actually very massive existential uh, thought that he has and it's so big because I mean he says you know long as I remember the rain's been coming down uh, clouds of mystery pouring confusion on the ground good men through the ages trying to find the sun and I wonder still I wonder who'll stop the rain it's like it's it's really such a big thing that he's saying you know it's like he's talking about like through all of the ages all these people are trying to find uh, this light but yet like we can't find it yeah. um, and again coming back to like y you think about how different this music is than like really any Beatles songs that you would think of I mean I guess later later in, in the Beatles you know careers you can maybe find a bit more music that has a bit more of this kind of substance but like um, you know this is not just talking about being in love with a girl it's just, this is this is big stuff they're trying to get at but I, I really love the just the imagery throughout the entire song um, and it's really not a very long song like it doesn't doesn't really drag on at all um, but for what it is, it's it's very powerful, I think, and um, yeah, I've really come to love the song more that I've got to know yeah. more about it. Yeah, you brought up a great point. Um, the first verse, you know, we've talked specifically about um, Woodstock, the contrast of Woodstock and Vietnam. The first verse, I would I would even say, has maybe maybe there's some like it, it alludes a little bit to um, either Vietnam or so, but there's it's a pretty general. Um, idea that he's saying here that's more, I think it's grander, it has the sense of grandiose that's talking about um, this like actually existential question of who will stop the rain. We we oftentimes use um, Genius, the app, to uh, look up some lyrics stuff and uh, one of the annotators, annotators? I don't know if that's a word, um, <laughs> one of the contributors uh, wrote... One of the annotationists. Annotationists. Uh, they wrote, Rain is a force of nature that lies outside the control of human effort. The chorus sorrowfully leaves the speaker in a sense of helplessness. And I think that's actually a really interesting point, um, especially because, you know, this song is, we, we talked about how it's only five chords, um, and I believe the only minor chord is the one that hits um, the Who'll Stop the Rain, right? Uh, Minus the, um, the he bridge, plays right? with No, he plays with the, the third of the, of the key. So he Does plays, he? In the key of G, he has the B minor chord in the yeah. verse, and then he has the E minor chord in the okay. chorus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just, I, I love the, um, like, right on the stop of who will stop the rain. He holds out. Um, that's the E minor, right? Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it is this kind of, like, this is a big question in the middle of this. Um, Fitting for the minor chord. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, let's real quick talk about what uh, our recording process and doing this. There's, I think, what was particularly cool about this song is um, when we try to, in, during this covering process, we're going to try to take these uh, songs and change them ever so slightly. And we did a couple of different things. Um, the first thing we did is we actually um, put it in the key of A instead of G, so raising it a whole step. Because um, our d idea behind it was, was kind of to give it this lighter quality because um, you know we're not using percussion we're not using bass electric guitar um, it's just we just use the uh, the roads and vocals and so um, Caleb what did you what did you think about how we recorded it maybe even versus 
the actual original song. Hmm. I would say from start to finish, it felt like we were making our own mm-hmm. sort of song, if you will. But when you put it in contrast, um, it's it's almost it's almost the same in what he was intending to do musically, um, and we only used one instrument um, along with the voice, and I really liked that. Um, the first verse especially was um, a verse that I noticed had a lot of intimate uh, characteristics. It was just simple chords, not a lot of playing. Um, I guess in keyboard language you call it diamonds, and then all of a sudden you have vocals just singing on top of it. So it was very, very open. And I, I love those musical times, and so hearing a verse that was just stripped down bare um, really communicated the lyrics to me while we were making that art, and I loved that. Um, and then verse two, we oh yeah, we were in. And I had these like, wow, this is rocking in Woodstock, you know, <laughs> if you will, on a keyboard. Because you know, Kayla was there. so he I was, was totally at Woodstock. Did you, have, did you have like images of playing in front yeah. of a huge crowd and- In uh, the rain. Yeah. Yeah. It's the smell of marijuana. Like, but again, I don't remember if I was on stage or off stage. So. <laughs> he doesn't remember if he was there. So, so many yeah. drugs. It was, it was a lot of drugs. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll, I'll speak to you from a visual standpoint, I guess. I mean, the way we kind of filmed this one, uh, this being our first song in the series, is uh, we decided to go with an on-camera mic. Um, and... You know, part of the effect of doing that is that really the only thing that you're able to focus on is wherever the camera is pointing. And so, uh, even visually, when you watch the video, I really do kind of focus on Brendan for most of it. Um, and I think even, I mean, visually and audio-wise, I think it just naturally came to be that the emphasis was on the vocals, really. Um, and you, you mentioned before too how you know CCR does these um, talks about such uh, powerful things, but you still have this kind of this big band sound. Um, and I think it's appropriate to kind of cover this song in a, in a different way than that, um, because the song, the, the words um, are so powerful. And I think um, obviously our, our, our singer Brennan here has a good voice. And so I think, I think for specifically this song, just let him, him kind of uh, go off with the lyrics and uh, focusing on him just kind of seemed appropriate for this song. Um, and then, to just like kind of dipping into uh, Caleb once in a while and kind of uh, re-emphasizing the keyboard, but kind of, you know a lot of a lot of this really did end up circling around Brennan, which you know don't get used to that because we'll we'll change that up. But <laughs> oh, damn. Um, yeah, Can we're gonna do now we have to downstage you for downstage some of our future. Of, uh, what yeah. do you think yeah. tomorrow? Uh, yeah, tomorrow we'll uh, not even. I won't even be in the shot. I'll just be singing behind the camera. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I no, yeah, I. I as we've already talked about, the, the big emphasis of this song, I think, is lyrics, and so um, trying to do that the service, the John Fogarty service, um, and do it justice was was fun. I enjoyed taking this song. It was funny. We initially tried to take the song slower, but there is so much organic excitement yeah. in yeah. the way that this song is rhythmically produced. I think specifically the melody, oftentimes. It's the offbeat a lot in its um, in its strong points, so it gives it this momentum, this movement. Um, so doing that and just being able to sing it really open with the roads, which I, I thought was also cool, specifically because the roads, what our our roads is from 1973, but it was you know roads in, in general is made um, in the late 60s. 
So kind of taking a um, instrument that wasn't particularly part of the song that they actually recorded, but still very much so prevalent mm -hmm. in that time period, I thought was really cool. It, it felt like we got to enter into history a little bit. It felt and, natural. Yeah, and felt really naturally. Natural. You know, I, I almost felt like we were just a band, you know, in 1974 that, you know, covered this song, you know, that just a few years ago that we heard just, you know, taking a different take on it. So sure. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty fun. You know, because the Rhodes was at Woodstock too, so. Right. <laughs> I wonder if it was on stage or not. Oh, I'm sure there were. Well, well, I don't know about that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that, that particular Rhodes was yeah. at... It doesn't remember. <laughs> it doesn't remember. <laughs> it crazy good. times, man. Crazy yeah, times. crazy times. Crazy times. All right. Well, I think that'll pretty much wrap up our first podcast. Thank you to anyone who decided to listen in. Thank you, Aiden and Caleb, for joining. And we got to give a very special shout-out to my younger sister, Helen Runzo, who did the stunning artwork for um, the little poster that we throw through on our Instagram and um, our icon, the one that Aiden has a bushy beard in. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't be fooled. The uh, my beard is not that uh not that big and beautiful. Dude, it's a grand beard. It's pretty grand. It's pretty like like a lot. Anyways, thank you for uh, tuning in, and we will catch you next time on Off Brand Covers for Mom Podcasts. Stay tuned and uh, here, check out our latest song that's coming sometime soon. We need some catchy, like, outro phrase, for sure. Yeah. We'll get back to you on that outro phrase uh, next time. Hopefully hopefully we'll have something workshopped. <laughs> Wait, well, come on. You come up with your best one right now. Let's hear it, Caleb. Uh, peace and good vibes in difficult times. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> see, Mom, I told you that uh, we're having a good time during this virus. That was way too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it's not very catchy, but... Like, about, like, like I said, we'll, we'll work. It should be just stuff. like, and remember, call your mom. It should be like that. Sure, I like just that. Like, I like that. Like that. <laughs> I like that.